0: as we continue our study on the wisdom of Christ. I uh, don't often get to do this, but I got to go to the Garden City Community College football game. I wish it would have went a little differently than it did, right, Rick? But it was uh, a good time. Got to be out there a little bit. And uh, like many college games, I don't know if you've ever seen those guys with the T-shirt cannons. You know what I'm talking about? Them T-shirt cannons. Those are fun. Um, not only because I love free T-shirts. My wife often complains I get more free T-shirts than she does. But I love the idea of getting to shoot a cannon at a crowd. That just sounds fun to me. And uh, it's fun to watch the reaction of the people as they shoot off that T-shirt cannon because as you're looking at the guy shooting it, you could see up in the crowd, everybody's just clamoring, please shoot the cannon at me. And I thought about this That it's really nice when we get something free like a free T-shirt. What if wouldn't this be cool? If getting wisdom was as simple as making sure the wisdom cannon was aimed at you that day. I think that, especially among this group, and I think any uh, person in our society today, the we all want wisdom, don't we? We all want wisdom. I think all of us have things in our life that we are needing God's wisdom for. I, I've got things going on in, in my life and in my extended family. I need God's wisdom on. Uh, I told you this morning, we're, we're doing an evangelistic Bible study with a couple in our community. I need wisdom for that. There's decisions in the church that not only I make, but we as a church body make. We need God's wisdom For that, I think we would all be on the same page, that we all want to get some real, true, scriptural wisdom. Am I right about that? I think that our passage tonight is going to teach us, and your Bible may have a heading there, that says the wisdom of God. Our passage is going to answer several questions about God's wisdom. Paul's been talking about wisdom a lot. If you're not reading this letter correctly, you might think that Paul is anti-wisdom. He's not anti-wisdom. He's anti-wisdom of this world. He's not anti-wisdom, but he's saying that there is a type of wisdom that men think is wisdom that is contrary to God's wisdom, and we want to turn away from worldly wisdom, and we want to receive God's true wisdom wisdom. And he's going to show us, number one, what does God's wisdom look like? He's going to help us know, number two, how we can understand God's wisdom. How do we know God's wisdom? And then number three, he's going to help us identify when God's wisdom is put into action in our life. So let's read in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16, and hear the words of the Lord through the Apostle Paul tonight in 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 6 says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, I mean, spiritually mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, you've probably heard this verse, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. uh, I lost my track here, but the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. That's an interesting verse, and we'll get to that. And then he quotes, I think it's Jeremiah. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Is this yours? Whose is this? All right. Well, the kids shouldn't be without their toy if they got to listen to me preach for 40 minutes. So I'm going to give it back to you. So what's the, what's the first thing that Paul is going to show us in this passage? He's going to show us in verses 6 through 9 that God's wisdom, here's how we identify God's wisdom. It is contrary to human expectations. If you want to know what the wisdom of God looks like, it contradicts. Human expectations. Now we we get this, this picture of wisdom in chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, and we have to ask the question: what is this wisdom? Paul says in verse 6 that it's something he and the other apostles speak. Verse number 7: this wisdom was concealed and hidden. Verse number seven, it was ordained before the creation of the world. Verse number eight, the rejection of this wisdom led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Verse number nine, this wisdom is the things that were prepared by God for those who love him. And verse number 10, this wisdom requires the spirit's help to discern. Now, as I'm listing that, are you getting an idea of what, how Paul is defining the wisdom of God? Can you think of something that was prepared by God or planned by God from the foundation of the world that has to do with the cross of Christ that is prepared for those who love God that requires the Spirit's help to discern? What is the wisdom of God? It's the gospel. It's the gospel, right? That term mystery that we see there in verse number, I think it's verse number seven, is a term that's always associated in the Bible with the gospel. Paul is not talking, sometimes this this passage is misquoted, to say that really spiritual people can know these hidden things that no one else has ever known. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that the gospel, in some ways, was hidden. We've seen that in our storyline series, haven't we? that some implications of the gospel don't show up until Jesus is on the scene. The cross of Christ certainly caught a lot of people by surprise, and other things about Jesus were not understood prior to Jesus' arrival. And then Paul makes the point that the gospel, which is the wisdom of God, the cross of Christ, which is the wisdom of God, was not anticipated, but rather rejected by the influential people of this world. Did you notice that in verse number eight? He says the princes of this world didn't know it. And if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's saying that the people who are influential and popular and powerful in this world, they didn't understand the wisdom of God. They didn't understand the gospel. In fact, more than that, they rejected the gospel. They put to death, the incarnation of wisdom itself. Do you remember our passage from last week? That Christ is the wisdom of God, right? And yet, the rulers of this world, what do they do to the wisdom of God? They killed him. Well, that tells you what our world thinks of God's wisdom, doesn't it? That tells you that our world, when it comes to the wisdom of God, whether it's the gospel, Or I think Paul's speaking more broadly as well, because he talks about in verse number nine, he says, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And then he says in verse number 10, he uses that same word, and he says, the spirit searches all things So he's talking about broadly, not just the gospel, but all the plans and the wisdom of God. And he reminds us, and I think this is an important point for us tonight, church family, that the people of this world that have influence and power reject God's wisdom. The people of this world that have power and popularity and often a lot of riches are the very people who directly align themselves against God's wisdom. And so what Paul is saying is that the gospel is an example to us that the wisdom of God does not match up with what you and I think what wisdom should be. In God's wisdom, his son needed to die. And so what I think Paul's preparing us for, if you want to know what wisdom is, it's going to run against your natural logic. That's why I think people uh, and Christians, we should tend to distrust our instincts. Are you following me tonight? Hey, I'm glad for kids, but let's focus on the word too. I'm just saying that as, as people, we need to distrust our human instincts, Because what we're seeing in verses six through nine is that the instincts of mankind generally don't detect God's wisdom. That the things that make sense in our head are not generally the wisdom of God. God's wisdom defies, it contradicts, it's contrary to human expectations. And not only that, what God sees as wise, our world sees as foolish. Now why would Paul be making this point? Because, as our title indicates, the book of 1 Corinthians is going to tell us God's wisdom for many areas of life. It's going to tell us God's wisdom contrary to what Corinthian culture thought was smart or wise or normal. What you're going to see in the book of Corinth, or in the the book of Corinthians, is that the church at Corinth's lives reflected more readily the thinking of the culture than the wisdom of God. And so our book is going to expound on what God thinks about these different subjects. God's going to expound on the wisdom of God on leadership. See, in the world, we pick our favorites and we choose our sides based on the person we like. But what we're going to see in chapter 3 is God is utterly opposed to that thinking. It's wicked in his sight. It's, it's divisive. It's contrary to the gospel itself. We're going to see that the Corinthians, they had rejected God's wisdom and were accepting the wisdom of this world on marriage and relationships and, and, and physical relationships as well. They were, they were misunderstanding what the church's view should be on these subjects. And so chapters five through seven, God is going to give us his wisdom, which is contrary to human expectations on the subject of marriage and sexuality. Now here's our thing that we need to hone in on tonight. It's the human temptation to reject God's wisdom because it doesn't line up with our thinking. And here's what I think Paul, the point Paul's making because if you understand the context like we talked about, these people in the church at Corinth, what they saw is they, they, they loved popular culture. They wanted to be like the powerful and the influential. They wanted to model their lives. They want to achieve the status that the powerful and the princes of this world had achieved. And I don't think much has changed in our culture, has it? Who do people want to be like? What opinions do people want to seek out? Well, you have, even in 2023, I think what was going on in their day is people want the political opinion of a basketball player, as if that guy's an expert on political issues, right? You want to know what this guy thinks about marriage. Well, I don't know why he's an expert on marriage, but the princes of this world, their thinking seems to leak into popular culture, and let's not discount the fact that the popular thing in the culture may leak itself into the church sometimes, And I think what Paul's trying to remind us of tonight is that if popular culture was wrong about Jesus, we should distrust the opinion of popular culture on any other of God's plans and wisdom. I'm gonna say that again because I think it's really important. If popular culture was wrong about Jesus, then we should distrust their opinion of any other of God's plans and wisdom. But here's what people do. This is the prevailing mentality of our day. They, they think something like this, or they say something like this. Well, Christians must have been getting this wrong for hundreds or thousands of years. And modern man has got it figured out While ancient man was stupid and needed to figure it out better. Modern man has more wisdom than ancient man. And Christians have gotten it all wrong for hundreds and thousands of years. And the truth is that sometimes that is the case. But what I think Paul is trying to remind us of is that we should tend to distrust our human logic... And tended to distrust what popular culture thinks because they were wrong about the most important thing in all the world. They were wrong about Jesus. And so when popular culture says, no, this is how a home should work. This is how you should raise your children. This is how churches should be structured and governed. Friend, we ought to discount that. We ought to say, you know, let me check that one real quick. Because popular culture has been wrong about a lot of more important things. And here's what the slide will say, is that if they were wrong, if society was wrong about Jesus, then we should distrust their opinion about other of God's plans and wisdom. Rather than asking this question, what has the church gotten wrong for 2,000 years? We should be asking what biblical issues have spiritual people agreed on for 2,000 years? I'll say that again. Rather than saying, what has the church gotten wrong for 2,000 years? We should try to ask what biblical issues have spiritual people agreed on for 2,000 years? And rather than trusting our own human logic and our own human wisdom, when we're trying to make a decision that's important about life, because I'm telling you, it's so instinctive for us to think in human ways, to put me first. You know why Paul talks about the wisdom of the cross so often? Because the wisdom of the cross says the exact opposite. The cross doesn't say me first. The cross says God first. The cross says others first. And it defies human logic. But here's the question we have to ask, okay? If if God's wisdom totally doesn't match up with our expectations, if in some ways there's no way we could have predicted what God's wisdom would be, And if the natural man receiveth not the things of God, as Paul will go on to say, and if all the popular culture and the princes and the the, the rulers of this world reject God's wisdom, how on earth can we understand it? Pastor Mike, if it defies human thinking, what hope do I have of understanding the wisdom of God? I mean, in some cases, if you just stick with verses 6 through 9, it's like saying that there's not a wisdom canon available to you. No, God's wisdom is dug 20 feet deep in the earth, and you better go find it and hope you don't miss it. I've got good news for you. God's given us a path to his wisdom. In verses 10 through 13, we see that God's wisdom is revealed by God's spirit. We discern truth from error because of the incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of us, we forget about this third part of the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus, we've probably got that one down, but the Holy Spirit, we like forget about. He's kind of the hidden part of the Trinity. And so Paul's going to give us kind of a, an expansion on what we should understand about the Spirit. In verse number 10, he, he makes it very clear that God reveals the things which he has prepared for us by his Spirit, right? God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Well, how does the Spirit reveal to us the things of God? And he makes this comparison. He, he says, hey, how does a, how does a person know themselves? right? How can you truly know Who can truly know who Mike Collins is? Well, the answer is the spirit of Mike Collins knows who Mike Collins is. Right? Who who really knows Rick Waidle? Rick Wadle knows Rick Wadel. Who who really knows Mark Pinksterhouse? Mark Pinksterhouse knows Mark Pinksterhouse. And he's saying just the same as Mark Pinksterhouse is the best person to know himself, and Rick Wadel's the best person to know himself. The the Holy Spirit is part of God himself, and therefore the Holy Spirit is capable to reveal God to us. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is God. Hey, listen, listen, I know this is kind of a a thing that we've all gotten covered here. We all know that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. We got that down, right? But friend, this, this doctrine is under attack this is a great verse to show somebody or to preach to yourself that the spirit is not separate from God. We as Christians are not tri-theists. Muslims accuse us of that. The spirit of God is not separate from God. It is part of God, just the same as your thoughts are part of you. But yet, in a different way, God has chosen if you are a Christian to put part of himself in you. And because you have the Spirit of God, you can know the thoughts of God. And Paul is showing us that we are utterly dependent on the Spirit to know God and his wisdom. Hey, I think Christians need to get this right. I think sometimes we overestimate our our job in putting faith in God. We put so much emphasis on our faith and our response to the gospel and our belief that we forget, none of that happens without the spirit of God. Are you following me? You and I would never follow God's plans. We would never know God's plans. We would never believe God's gospel if not for the spirit of God. Because God has given us that spirit to receive his truth but the spirit's not only there to help us understand the gospel the spirit is necessary if you and I are going to receive any of God's wisdom hey listen remember I told you the beginning question of the message do you want to catch what's in the wisdom canon if you want to catch what's in God's wisdom canon you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit if you want to know what God wants you to do or think in a situation you need the spirit of God Okay, and so verse number 13 shows us that the Holy Spirit, his ministry is a teaching ministry. Look at verse 13. This is a really great verse to understand what happens during a preaching moment. He's he's talking about the spirit of God, or the wisdom of God. He says, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth. You know what Paul's saying there? Oh, we gotta get this church. Church. The preaching moment is not merely boiled down to words and communication strategy. That's not enough. I, I can never be dynamic enough for you or anyone to get God's wisdom. Nobody is dynamic enough. There is no evangelist dynamic enough to lead someone to Christ in their own speaking ability. How do spiritual truths get to the pew? Well, look at the last phrase of verse 13. They get there by comparing, look at what he says in verse 13, spiritual things with spiritual. You know what he's saying there? We could translate that, giving spiritual truths to spirit-filled people. What Paul is saying is that the spirit has to be in the one teaching. That's why it's kind of important for whoever teaches the Bible to be a Christian, right? Are we on board with that? Okay, yeah. That person has to have the spirit, but here's the truth. The person in the pew has to have the spirit, that there's this contact, there's this tunnel that is connecting someone in the pew with the spirit and someone in the pulpit with the spirit, and the truth, the wisdom of God is compared conveyed from spiritual to spiritual that's why church family when we come to church listen i appreciate prayer god fill fill preacher with your spirit but we shouldn't just be praying that god will fill the preacher with the spirit we ought to be praying that god will fill the pews with the spirit because if the pews aren't filled with the spirit nobody walks out with spiritual truth it has to be on both sides of the equation The spirit has to be active, not just in my life. I don't just have to be surrendered to the spirit to teach you the word of God. I think we all get that. No one wants a preacher who doesn't live by the spirit. But friend, if you're resisting the spirit of God in your personal life, don't expect to get anything out of spiritual teaching. You ever wondered how someone can walk in and hear a sermon and get nothing out of it? Well, let me help you. It's because they've quenched the Spirit, or the Spirit's quenched on this side too. I think this is why, church, we ought to pray in this way for every service. I wonder how many here prayed for the services before you walked in today. Because what goes on every Sunday, we have to recognize is supernatural, or it will fall flat. It is supernatural. If anything goes on productive today, it is only because the Spirit of God is at work on both sides. And so Christians, pray. Pray for the transmission of truth in our services. Don't shy away when... Pastor calls for someone to pray. We need those prayers. We want the spirit to come down. Here's what I know. The spirit doesn't resist people who want him to be working. But how many of us really want him to be working? But this also tells us, church family, that if you want to learn from the Bible, you don't just need a good biblical education. You need to walk by the spirit. Because the life you live in relation to the Spirit of God Monday through Saturday will affect your Sundays. What do we know? We know that the Spirit indwells us at salvation, but we also know that Paul says a lot of other things about the Spirit, doesn't he? I mean, let's ask this question. Are you tuned in tonight? Does the presence of the Spirit in a Christian always mean that we will receive biblical truth? No what do we know? We know that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, in Ephesians 4.30, that it's possible for us to quench the Spirit of God. Have you ever considered how profound that is? This is God we're talking about. And God says that you and I can limit the way he works in our life. Well, how do we Quench the spirit of God. How do we suppress the the ministry of the spirit? And in fact, in First Thessalonians, that idea of quenching the spirit—it is not by accident that the verse that says "quench not the spirit" is directly followed by a verse that talks about listening to preaching. Friend, our relationship with the Spirit of God and our reception of spiritual truths are directly connected. Your personal walk with the Spirit Monday through Saturday can make or break what you get out of your Sundays. And that's why I'm burdened that we don't just have church members who come in on Sunday, but we have church members who walk with the Spirit on Monday. Because it doesn't matter how much I sweat. Y'all know I sweat way too much. It doesn't matter how much I raise my voice or have energy if the Spirit of God is not at work in your life. I hate this reality, but it's true. I can't get the truth to you. I can't. If you've quenched the Spirit, you know what you've done? It's like you've tied off a hose. See, for water to be transmitted through a hose, there can't be any kinks or any bends on either side of it, can there? And I worry, man, I got I to gotta introspect enough, but I do worry sometimes because I, I don't know that how many ends of the hoses are twisted off because we've quenched the Spirit of God It reminds me of the proverb. Because the proverbs really are explaining God's wisdom to us, aren't they? And and we want God's wisdom. And so many of us, here's what we want. We want God to, like, give us a book that, like, we can, you know, go to, like, this page and be like, okay, here's my wisdom. Man, I wish the Bible was formatted that way. I wish life worked that way. Wouldn't it be nice if, like, there was, like, a a wisdom Wikipedia you know, what do you do when, you're, when your aunt and your uncle are lying about you and you, you got to look that up? That would be nice, right? But you know what Proverbs says? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. It shows us that wisdom has a lot less to do with what you look up in a moment of panic. In living, a lifestyle of wisdom has a lot more to do with the lifestyle you live walking with wise men. And I can't think of a more wise person than God himself in the spirit. You wanna be wise? Be real connected to the spirit of God this week. And I'll tell you, man, I'm serious, and women, sorry, I'm speaking in my my, my 30-year-old lingua. I'm telling you, I've watched people who are, There's no way that you would think they're smart or discerning or really have a lot of know how, but yet they're people who walk with God. And I've seen people young, I've seen people uneducated but old, who because they walk with the Spirit, I can count on them to have wisdom for the moment. You know what I believe? That if the Spirit indwells every Christian, every Christian has access to God's wisdom. If they walk with the Spirit. Now here's the question. What does God's wisdom look like when it's applied to our life? How do we know that we're living this wisdom out? If the Spirit gives us supernatural ability to understand. Think about this. If the Spirit gives you supernatural ability to understand the plans and the thoughts of God, here's what I think we all should agree on, then that should fundamentally change who you are. Right? Okay, I got... Thank you, sirs. Appreciate it. Right? I mean, that should fundamentally change who we are and how we live. And that's the last part of Paul's explanation here, is that in verses 14 through 16, he shows us that God's wisdom must change how we live. It reminds me so much of what James says about worldly wisdom. I love verse 16. It's a beautiful verse. I think you should Put this on a post-it note, put it on your dashboard, and meditate on this a little bit. Look at verse 16. He tells us that because of the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Do you, have you ever wished, like, man, I could just wish I could import Jesus' brain into my body? Paul says you can. You have the Spirit of God. Look at verse 16. He quotes the Old Testament I'm going to look up in my notes because you may want to write. It's Isaiah 40, 13. When explaining the plans of God to the people of God, Isaiah asks a rhetorical question. He says, who can understand the mind of God, right? Who knows God's mind that he can instruct him? Isaiah poses that to Old Testament people, and the obvious answer is what? Nobody, (laughs) right? Who has the mind of God? But Paul says, because the spirit of God, rather than our answer being a no, who has the mind of the Lord? Our answer now by God's grace and by the spirit of God can be yes. Someone rejoice in that. You have a privilege that people for a couple thousand years haven't had. You can have the mind of God. You want the mind of God on money? You want the mind of God on your marriage? You want the mind of God on your problems in your workplace? You can have it through the Spirit of God. You can have the mind of Christ. Wow. But if the mind of Christ is yours to have, this is going to be deep. Robert's laughing. What's up with that, man? This is going to be deep. If you have the mind of Christ, then having the mind of Christ, maybe will show up by living a life like Christ. So if we have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, Paul's gonna show us, then maybe it should show up by us living a life like Christ. I often talk to my kids about disobeying, as any parent does, It happens too often, you know? And uh, you know that my kids are preacher's kids by their typical answer when they're in trouble. One, who I will not name because she'll be embarrassed, says this But, Dad, I'm a sinner. And I say amen to that. I'm a sinner too. But you know what Paul's saying? Yeah, you're a sinner, but if the Spirit's in you, you have the mind of Christ. You don't really have that out anymore. Not a valid excuse, Christian. You have the mind of Christ. And so if you have the mind of Christ, Paul says it affects what we receive. If we have the mind of Christ, it affects What we receive in verse number 14, the spirit affects what we receive. And he contrasts the natural man with the perfect man, right? I think he uses that term, perfect. The spiritual man, he's not saying in this, he's not saying that this person is super spiritual. Sometimes we use the term that way, right? A spiritual person we think is someone who's super spiritual. He's just saying someone who has the spirit. The natural man, they don't receive the things of God, right? Verse number 14, the natural man receives not the things of God. What? Their foolishness to him. He cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. Because in order to discern the things of God, you need to have what? The Holy Spirit. On the other hand, those who have the Spirit can understand the things of God. They can receive the things of God, right? Right? So those who don't have the Spirit, they reject God's wisdom. They reject the Gospel. They reject the Bible. By the way, a really good idea to discern where someone's at with Jesus Christ is to reflect on how they respond to God's wisdom. Because it is characteristic of someone who has the Spirit to receive God's wisdom. If someone categorically rejects God's wisdom, we might say, I don't know if they really care or have the Spirit, right? That's what Paul's saying. But then... I think this teaches us something. I think parents, I'm gonna hit this, hit this base again. We talked about this morning. I think that this affects our parenting strategy in our evangelism strategy in our view of the culture and morals. Listen very closely. I think this, this word about the spirit affecting what we receive warns us, and here's how I'm gonna phrase it: not to put discipleship before evangelism. I think this shows up in parenting this way. I talked about this morning. I want my kids to have good morals, right? Who here also wants their kids to have good morals? We all would raise our hands, right? Or the family, right? If you don't have children. But so often, here's how we in our just human tendencies, our way of getting our kids to exhibit human morals is to correct them into good morals. I'm gonna discipline them, I'm gonna spank them, I'm gonna do whatever I can to corral them into good human morals. That's good. It's good to make sure your kids are punished when they do a wrong thing. But here's what I would caution you about that. And I'm speaking to myself as well. That we forget that our kids will never wrap their minds around spiritual truths if they don't have the spirit of God. You may be able to correct a five-year-old into good morals, but it's a lot harder to correct a 15, 17, 18-year-old into good morals. And so what do we do? We preach the gospel to our children. Parents, preach the gospel to your children. Are your kids not receiving spiritual wisdom? Well, if they're like mine, there's probably times they don't. <laughs> Can I just help you think about this for a minute? Preach the gospel to them. I'll tell you, my, uh, our oldest, I really believe she was saved when she was four, which is way young. So young, my wife and I are like, oh man, like, I'm worried she's gonna doubt. I mean, that's a terrible reaction, isn't it? We're bad Christians, I'm sorry. But you know, she got saved at four years old and you would think a preacher's kid, Christ, uh, Christian home, ministry home her whole life, there would be no obvious difference between a four-year-old non-Christian and a four-year-old Christian. There is a serious difference. Serious difference. Um, if you had to guess who's more shy of my two children, Natalie or Nora? (laughs) Y'all are like, Natalie, for sure. Nora is everywhere, right? Who shares the gospel and tries to invite people to church a lot? It ain't Nora. It's Natalie. That's totally against her human nature. Right? And so here's what I'm, I'm trying to help you see, parents, grandparents, whatever, That our kids' behavior problems are not just exhibiting or showing us their need for correction. They might be showing us that our kids need the gospel. They need the spirit of God. Man, I told you earlier, right? What did I say? That if the spirit's not on both sides of the equation, every message will fall flat. I'll say the same for your parenting. I don't care how many spankings you can give out, timeouts, groundings, whatever else us parents make up to make our kids feel bad about their disobedience. All that stuff is for naught if they don't have the Spirit. Preach the gospel. Don't just tell them the gospel. Call them to believe the gospel. Show them how to receive the gospel. Preach the gospel. And this this is a good word for our culture because I think as Christians, we're like, hey, our whole culture needs to act like Christians. Quit redefining marriage, quit quit doing this, quit doing that. And listen, I'm all for that. But Christians, let's, let's get around the table here tonight and recognize that our Bible gives no reason for somebody who doesn't know the spirit of God to act like they have the spirit of God. And so somebody's got their morals all twisted up. Their problem is not that they need Christians to tell them what right morals are. That's a good start but we do that to lead them to their brokenness and sin and need of the gospel. Christians should stop trying to fix morals before they fix somebody's spiritual problem because we got a whole lot more leverage when we fix that problem first and then we can take care of the rest of that stuff. Hey, our, our nation's moral problems are never gonna be fixed at the ballot box. They will be fixed by the spirit of God indwelling the hearts of people as we preach the gospel of Christ to them. What else does the spirit change? It affects not just what we receive, it affects what we discern. It affects what we discern. Verse number 15 shows us this. Look at verse 15. This is a really interesting verse. That those who are spiritual, he says, he that is spiritual judgeth discerns all things. Hey, that's an encouragement to you tonight. If you have the spirit of God and you have the word of God, you have the tools you need to discern all things. I'm gonna say that again, because I don't feel like I actually have that power sometimes. If you have the spirit of God and you have the Word of God, you have the tools you need to discern everything you need to discern in this life. This spiritual person, yes, we understand, it's not just those who have the Spirit of God, it's walking with the Spirit, right? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. We can affect our ability in our relationship with the Spirit in some way. But those who are close to the Spirit, and are walking with the Spirit, and are not quenching the ministry of the Spirit, they have the ability to make every decision according to the wisdom of God. If you want to access God's wisdom and live by God's wisdom, here's what this word says to us tonight. It tells us that we need to walk with the Spirit. Listen, so many Christians, here's how we view certain decisions. When it comes to this bank of decisions, we take off our Christian cap and put on our business person cap. We take off our Christian cap and we put on our money manager cap. We put on our retirement planning cap. We put on our employee cap. Listen, let me help help us. There is no putting off and putting on different caps. Everything in your life necessitates the discernment of the spirit. Your retirement planning is not just a money equation, it's a spirit equation. There are spiritual factors you ought to put in there, right? Your management of people in the workplace is a spiritual thing. Your parenting is a spiritual thing. Your marriage is a spiritual thing. Hey, your driving is a spiritual thing sometimes, ain't it? We all know what unspiritual driving looks like, so I think we'd agree it's a spiritual thing. Everything in life is affected by the spirit. So what's Paul saying? The presence of the spirit should show up in living wisely in all things. But then I like the last part of verse 15. You independent folk will like this one. He that spiritual judges all things and yet he himself, that spiritual person, is judged of no man. Now, what is Paul saying here? Well, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you're a Christian, you can, you know, throw out the don't judge me card. You can't judge me. I'm judged by no man. I'm spiritual. What he's saying, of course, he's going to actually, in, verse, in chapter number five, instruct the church to render a judgment on a person and excommunicate them for their immorality. What Paul is saying is that ultimately, when we have the spirit within us, it affects whose evaluation we care about most. Put that slide up there, And The spirit affects how we are judged. Here's what Paul is saying. Earthly people without the spirit, you know what they care about? They care about what people think. They care about what social media thinks. They care about what their boss thinks. If if they have a bad day with their kids, their day's ruined. Because man, their life rises and falls on the opinions of others. Paul's gonna expound on this in chapter four, verses three through four. He says, but with me, (laughs) this is amazing. It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, he says, I don't even judge my own self. My self-evaluation isn't always accurate. But he says, he that judgeth me is the Lord, is the Lord. When you recognize, Christian, that the Lord is ultimately who judges you, number one, it frees you with the obsession of the opinions of other people. Number two, when you recognize that it's the Lord who judges you, you care about the inward man as much as the outward man. You know how you could tell whose opinion you care about most? Is do you manicure your inward man as well as you try to maintain your outward image? So many of us Christians, we would be just destroyed if our image was ruined. And so we'll manage that thing, but inside we're full of dead man's bones. But those who know that the Lord ultimately judges them, they don't just care about what other folks think. They care ultimately about what the Lord sees. Because if everybody else likes me and everybody else respects me, but God doesn't, it doesn't matter. Here's what Paul's telling us tonight, we'll be done. God's spirit enables Christians to understand and live out God's wisdom. Do you want part of that wisdom canon? Walk with the Spirit this week. Walk with the Spirit this week. Don't quench the Spirit this week by the sin you retain in your heart. Walk with him. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Pray for the Spirit's help as you crack open the Bible tomorrow, which I hope you do. Pray for the Spirit's help when you sit down and are receiving spiritual truth because you need it and you can be promised that he will help you And recognize that you have every tool you need to live a life of wisdom. You have the spirit of God and you have the word of God and that's all we need. That's all we need. We recognize that this wisdom, what God truly sees as wise, our world will think is foolish. So we don't worry when those we love look at the wisdom of God and say, well, that seems a little odd. Spending your money that way, giving your money that way, going to church that way, that seems a little odd. Oh, we're, we're fine with that because if the world rejected Jesus, why would we expect them to have a good opinion of God's wisdom in any other area? Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for the supernatural wisdom you give us through the Spirit Lord, I know all of us want to live wisely. But here's what I also know, God. It is a lot harder to walk with wisdom than it is to want wisdom. Because there's so many distractions. There's so many obstacles. God, help us to walk with the Spirit this week. Lord, I believe the word of God will get more mileage in our lives if we're walking with the Spirit. And I, I wanna see you do a work in all of us, myself included. Help us to walk with your Spirit that we can receive and apply spiritual truths to our lives, Lord, and to see how they fundamentally change us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.